Matrix teaser, Deja Vu? No. My hype levels are rising, and I'm a little concerned because I try to be cautiously optimistic when it comes to... I mean, we didn't we have a discussion one podcast recently about... We did have a discussion one podcast recently. <laughs> bringing the classic IPs back into the modern era and trying to recapture the, the magic, that lightning putting it back in the bottle. This is the ongoing conversation of our time. It's nostalgia driven because everything made today by large financed corporate production studios is trash. Are sequels, prequels, and remakes. Gabriel. Yeah, with little exception if that is your real name. And if anyone braves into the uncharted territory that is original IP. Like Last Duel, for example. That's exactly what I was thinking. That's exactly what you were thinking. Or Last Night in Soho. Or these, Last Night in Soho. These movies don't have to, to be perfect, but oftentimes they're good when you put talented people behind them. And they just tank because no one... I blame, what's it really Scott says? Millennials and their phones. <laughs> I think he means like Zoomers because... I, I get what he means. Yeah. I, even though I disagree with his lack of tact... I, I actually it, agree heavily with his sentiment, even though I'm also part of the problem. It is sad. So hype. Matrix hype. Yeah. What else is there besides Spider-Man, which is like the movie of our time, basically. We have The Matrix on Christmas. It's the most anticipated comic book movie ever, I think. Uh-huh. More than Endgame. That I think the ticket sales broke the internet. Hard to beat. <laughs> I think in-game, didn't they? They Wreck-It Ralph tooed the internet the other you, day. You had a hard time the night of. I don't want to talk about we it. We're not going to talk about it, getting tickets. So I'm, I'm still a little hurt about that. A little salty, a little salty boy. And I'm really excited for Del Toro's Nightmare Alley. That's oh, me too. probably, I mean, obviously Spider-Man's in a category of its own. But Gosh. between that and The Matrix, I'm not sure which I'm more excited for. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for Del Toro because usually his movies lie in the, the camp where they're mythical sci-fi enough for me to be super pumped about mm-hmm. something out of the norm, but they also live in the realm of general population acceptance. And when those two worlds collide, it's very rare, but it's often, and usually he does it so well, it's oh, yeah. just super beautiful. He's been talking again about his uh, dream adaptation for Lovecraft in the Mountains of Madness. Oh, because he I'd never he heard that. Wrote a script like 15 years ago that he could never get greenlit. He even had crazy producers on it, like Tom Cruise, and studios were haggling him to no end, so it never got made. But he recently established his deal with Netflix. He and, always gets haggled. Well, yeah, he he has a lot of stuff that's trapped in pre-production hell, or you know. But I I don't know how much of that <laughs> is like his own fault because he's like a very particular. Yeah. But, I mean, he should be able to be. He's, in my mind, he's, like, as good of a filmmaker as Nolan or anyone else. And if Nolan can sign these insane, crazy deals with Universal and and abandon Warner Brothers after he's worked with them for the last, like, 15 years, why can't Del Toro, you know? It's it's crazy. Well, he's he's pretty out there, even for his successes and his... But he's also, from what I've seen, he's pretty down to earth. Yeah. But the studio's... The what stuff he wants to make is still weird. Like Nolan and Denny are like, or not even Denny, but using Nolan as a perfect example of like. <laughs> you just throw Denny into everything. Now. I can't stop. I love that. <laughs> I man. just love saying his. I want to shake his hand. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Move, moving past that, I I just want to say <laughs> I'm excited. He said he wants now that it might be a Netflix production, he can make it smaller and weirder again, taking out all the studio pandering that he put into his script. I'm really 
looking forward to that. One of the most exciting productions that never got greenlit of Del Toro's for me was he had talked for quite a while about coming up with a story that would be adapting the Haunted Mansion for Mm. Disney and doing it in a way that actually told this kind of sort of horror story about... With Eddie Murphy? (laughs) No. (laughs) That's that. I thought it would have been so, so cool. Maybe he can do it now that he's with Netflix. Maybe he can. Netflix, who would have guessed they were the savior of our time in filmmaking? Letting people like David Fincher and Del Toro just go. Just run with it. See what you can get up to with a few million dollars. Speaking of Netflix, Stephen, what are we doing today? Well, I should be asking you that same question. Why don't you ask me then? (laughs) Ask me. I want you to ask me. (laughs) Sorry. That was a a much too boisterous laugh for (laughs) for a dumb... (laughs) In response to what Gabe just did. I'm a funny guy. What can I say? Gabe, this is a precious episode to you personally. It is. Today. It, it actually is, yeah. Well, I guess, what are we doing today? Today, Stephen, we're doing the new animated series for Netflix called Arcane, based off... Arcane. The massively successful video game, League of Legends. Isn't it the most successful video game in the yeah, world? Yeah, I think it is. I haven't checked the numbers recently, but I think it in the last 10 years, it has become the most popular video game in the world. There is a documentary in the works now. I don't know if it's Netflix about the esports scene because it's just massive at this point 10 years in anyway i guess i could give like a brief history of yeah i was gonna ask actually right games well that even takes it a step further i was gonna say can you give a history of league of legends and and what it means to you but heck why not just go to the developer well i'm not a historian ever for anything but but you know the game intimately uh i know i know it pretty well gabe can watch a League of Legends game like the people in the Matrix watch the Matrix. What? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The green. The binary code? The it's ones not zeros. binary code. The green symbols run down the Matrix screen and understand what's happening inside the Matrix. That's a pretty fair. I mean, yeah, but any information that you have about League of Legends, when it started, who the developer is, yeah, is well, something that I don't know. I won't bore you to death. I'll keep it brief, especially for the sake of this podcast. Because I could talk an ear off about this. I've been basically following it for 10 years, which is almost a third of my life at this point. Is it more precious to you than Halo? You know, at this point, it it actually it might be. Because like in terms of time investment, I, I, I probably have spent you know that much time, if not you know directly engaging with the game and the world, probably just you know like thinking about it. But it's a it's a 10 year old game. Riot Games developed this. They call it a MOBA. Is the kind of game it is. It's a multiplayer online online battle arena thanks for walking me through that (laughs) it's a mouthful it actually was originally that is a funny genre because it comes from a long line of spin-offs rip-offs and um fan-made mods of other games for example it originally came from dota dota which originally came from a warcraft Warcraft. mod yes well you already know what am i explaining this to you for you already know this stuff warcraft well warcraft is like Everything has come from that, including World of Warcraft. Yeah. So the developers led by Mark Merrill and... Warcraft's the OG though, right? Yeah, yeah. Warcraft 1, 2, and 3. I think that predates WoW even. It all came from Warcraft yeah. and Blizzard and all that jazz. I'm not super familiar with that stuff. I came on that scene after League was in its early stages, like circa 2011, which was the first official season. So the game was made, basically released in 2010. I think beta was 2009 or alpha, whatever. 
Riot Games came together, formed as originally a very small indie company, which is now a meme to say something like that, a small <laughs> indie company. Yeah. And they released this game, you know, which was like happening around the same time as Dota and a couple other smaller MOBAs as that scene was pretty in its infantile state. But it, it started blowing up. And by the time of the season two world championships, which was 2012, hosted at the Staples Center, it was already like a pretty big deal. And then season three, season four, it became a worldwide phenomenon, massively popular in Asia, especially China and Korea. And at this point, it is now, you know, the global behemoth that it is, especially in China, because China's even huge, much larger than Korea. But esports over there is so much bigger and has always been bigger than it is in the West. Anyway, uh, that's Riot Games. And for 10 years, all they did was make League of Legends and make it bigger and better and more exciting in terms of like its popularity. A lot of people complain about the state of the game now currently um, for different reasons. And however you feel about Riot Games and their game play specifically, it's very clear they have a lot of incredibly talented people working there. And the company is not without its share of scandals as well. That's a whole other topic. But, oh, yeah. And there have been many. Wow. But they have an incredibly talented group of people working there in every department, from sound to animation to storytelling. Uh, but for 10 years, that's all they did was make League of Legends the MOBA video game. And can, can you quickly just explain what happens in the MOBA? So that, like, in the game? Yeah, because that people understand what it is. There's, there's one level... Like yeah, there's one, one map. map. <laughs> there's one map. There's only ever been one map. There's only been one map. Or different versions of that one map. That alone is fascinating to me, but keep going. Basically, the gist of the MOBA is that there are three lanes on a board, and they go like one through the middle and two around each side, or one around each side. And you pick a champion on a team of five, and you go either in... How many champions do they have to choose from currently? Well, now they're like 150. Okay. I think at the start there were 20, and they've slowly been adding them over the decade. I got acquainted with the game when they had about 40, I think. I think actually there might have there were either 20 or 40 in the beginning, yeah. yeah. But they've been adding a lot ever since. Anyway, you load in there with five, four of your friends against another team of five, and you either go in a lane or in the space between, which is called the jungle. This is all online. Yeah. You in a team with actual people who are playing on their own computers mm -hmm. in separate physical spaces than you. Yeah. Playing another team of five people in different physical spaces playing through their computers. Correct? Yes. Okay. Everyone's linking up online. It's not a LAN party. Do those even happen anymore? Not anymore. Okay. But, I mean, you can do that. And that's, that's how they'll host tournaments is people, well, I mean, pre-COVID. They'd get together and, uh, sure. like I said, in season two, they rented out the Staples Center. And the venues have only gotten bigger, but they'll sell tickets and they'll do lands as tournaments. But anyway, and yeah, each champion has like four abilities, one of which being your ultimate ability, which is your big spell. And over the course of a 30 to 45 minute game, you will level up, becoming more powerful, buying new items to help you beat your enemy team. In just one round. You, you, uh, start, yeah. with, you start with nothing and you have to buy items every time, right? Correct, yeah. Okay. So you get money by farming creeps which are like minions that are in the lane and there's a lot of detail to it again i don't want to bore so every time you start a new like round or like a game yeah you have to basically you have to like know who to kill how to get money what to purchase the mm -hmm. like the root of how you're going to upgrade and you upgrade your character to support your fellow teammates so that you can dominate the other team right yeah basically okay 
So yeah, you'll pick a champion, hopefully a group of champions that work well together. Pretty diverse. It's very diverse. You have to have like the melee guy, the range guy. the Yeah, there are typically roles in yeah. a match. And who, uh, who do you play generally? Um, I will typically play either a support character or an AD carry, which is uh, a ranged champion that does a lot of damage. I like support characters though. Melee because, damage or ranged damage? Uh, it could be either. It's usually ranged. But I like support characters because they have a lot of CC. It's crowd control, which does anything from, you know, like displace enemy champions to stun them or slow them. It okay. affects the the match in a in a more substantial way than just doing damage, and that's fun to me. Or, you know, causing the enemy player to have less fun is fun to me. <laughs> and that's what a lot, a lot League of Legends is about, is decreasing the amount of fun your enemy is having by just, you know... You sound a little competitive. It's fun. It, it's a very competitive game. Yeah. And it's easy to... It's, it causes a lot of anger... The player base is often memed because the joke is that nobody has fun playing <laughs> League of Legends. But, but it's addicting. It's highly addicting. Yeah. There's a reason it's the biggest game in the, in I almost said universe, in the world. In the universe. Aliens. For all we know. <laughs> Aliens yeah. play this who, game. <laughs> we don't know who, who's funding Riot. But Extraterrestrials. Yeah. So over the 10 years, they have created an incredibly diverse, not just cast of characters in this game, Yeah, but... Um, they've really fleshed out the lore. And it's an incredibly expansive world called Terra, with many different regions and political stuff happening. It's always evolving. There's, especially now that it's so far into its lifespan, there's always like in-game events and they're trying to find new ways to tell stories. So a few years ago, I think Riot Games finally figured out we could turn this game into a multimedia empire, like the world round, several times over. So I think somewhere circa 2015, 2016, they started developing not just many other games, many other kinds of games, but other forms of media as well, including the show, Arcane, which is what we're talking about today, in cooperation with Netflix. They officially began pre-production, they said, in 2015. And that's when they started to get the ball rolling on the narrative they wanted to tell in this show. This would be, outside of, you know, in and out of game cinematics, the first real story, like long-form story, they would tell with their the world space they'd created. Yeah, that's what Arcane came to be. And so I think it was a couple years ago they finally solidified the story, and that's when animation began. So it didn't take six years to animate, but it took them six years to, to develop. Like, yeah, to, to start from scratch, having never created anything like this before. And this is technically a prequel to the world of League of Legends that we know now, correct? Yeah. How much of a prequel is it? Do you know? Well, again, the game itself, the way you like pick a champion and play on this map called Summoner's Rift, it takes place kind of like out of time and space. It's yeah, like, it's kind of like in the Marvel Universe. There's yeah, yeah. there's um, the name of the character is the Beyonder, mm -hmm. and he's the one that takes everybody in the uh, the Secret Wars essentially outside of time and space into this one world and this one map and then has all of the Marvel characters fight each other in this space. Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. So all this media that you will see for League of Legends, not just the show, but the other stuff they've done, it's all like before what you'd see in the game. So it's showing you these characters as they're becoming who they are in the video game. Some, a lot of these characters in Arcane are from their champions that you could play in the game, right? Yeah, all the main characters, well, most of the main characters and a few of the secondary characters. So I think there's maybe eight in total from the show, from Arcane, that are playable in the game. 
Cool. Let's talk about Arcane. Yeah. And what happens and who it follows and let's Sorry, talk about the plot. I would love to not go into like uh, Omega spoilers because I would love to preserve this journey for probably a lot of people who have not seen the show yet because I doubt four of our five listeners have watched the show yet. So. Okay, fine. But no we'll, spoilers. I'll, I'll, I'll set the stage. Um, set the stage, Gabe. Yeah. So Arcane takes place in a region called Piltover and Zahn, which are like neighboring city-states. I don't think Zahn is really a sovereign state as of the point. Zahn is the lanes. Yeah, Zahn is like... It's like the underbelly that is literally underneath and smells like poop. Yeah. <laughs> of the city of Piltover. It's the trashier part of Piltover. It's like, they call it the undercity. It's like the Narrows to Gotham. Yeah. You know? Exactly. But it's big enough that it... It's its own city. Yeah. By the time that you would play a League of Legends game, it is its own sovereign nation called Zahn, or sovereign state, and it's freed itself from Piltover's grasp, I guess. And this is just one uh, section of the world of Runeterra that League of Legends players may be familiar with. It is sort of the technological and economic hub, I guess you could say, of this world. So it is the most technologically advanced. And they have, the the show is kind of revolving around the development of something called Hextech, which is like in this steampunk environment of Piltover and Zon. There's this new technology being developed called Hextech, which is the, essentially it's the blending of machinery and technology with the magical elements of the world because the world is a very magical place it's one of the most magical environments in an ip like this like way more than something like lord of the rings yeah so that's like the backdrop that you're set against and the show is one of the reasons it's so great is because it really boils this experience down to the point of view of just a few characters and makes the story small following them throughout the show and those characters are the sisters Vi and Powder, or as Powder comes to be known as Jinx, from the Undercity, or what might become known one day as Zon. And you're also following a pair of characters on the other side in Piltover, uh, who are Jace and Victor, and they're scientists. And you also get to know Kaylin, who is a cop, and a couple other characters. Yep. Silco is a very large character from the underside. Mm-hmm. He essentially is trying to work to free Zahn and make it its own state from Piltover. And he's doing that by issuing and and creating this sort of drug called... Silco works with his mad scientist friend, Singed, who is another character in the game. Uh Silco's not a character, but they've been developing this thing called Shimmer, which is like this magical purple juice. Sauce. Yeah, this magical sauce that he hopes will give them an edge in the fight against their would-be oppressors, which is the the Piltovian, you know, people. <laughs> uh, and this shimmer will mutate you and turn you into like a, it's like a Jekyll and Hyde situation. But it also sustains you or enhances your abilities or powers. Yeah, while also crippling you with an addiction that yep. you, you then have to support. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, heroin. It's like super mega heroin. The juice. Yeah, we'll call it the juice. And then there's a council in Piltover of people who essentially run the city. And one of the characters is this little Gremlins meets Yoda kind of character called a Yordle. And his name is Heimerdinger. Yeah. And it's like an Ewok. He's like, yeah, he's <laughs> like a an Ewok that looks like he has big ears like Yoda, but he's furry like a Gremlin. And he's like this 300, 400 year old little dude who is a science guy and, and is essentially established the city of Piltover. Mm-hmm after the war with the mages in like 200 years before this. 
Yeah. And uh, he's trying to counsel Jace and Victor into using their efforts for good and not evil. Their hex tech. Yeah, their hex tech. Yeah. Heimerdinger is very scared of the potential ramifications of. Heimerdinger is uh, the heart of the show, easily. Yeah. <laughs> he is one of the hearts of the show. There's actually a lot of hearts of the show, but <laughs> Heimerdinger is legit. I love him. Yeah, he's very he's very cute. Is he like a fan fave in the game? Or he, used to he's be? He's been a classic character that has kind of never been super popular. Oh. But he is. It's funny because after the Our show happened, playing him a lot, lot of now? people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all the characters are, are. Oh, sure. Their play rates have gone up. Of course. But yeah, so we have those characters, and then there's a couple other characters that aren't in the game, like Counselor Madarda, who is... And Silco, like you just said. Silco's there. Yeah, Madarda. There's a character in the first act called Vander, who is Vi and Jinx's... That godfather. Uh, per, yeah, parental of. guardian. Yeah. Um, who meets an unfortunate end, but is potentially... We might be seeing more of him in the future as another character from the game. Yeah. Which is very exciting. So what is gripping about this show? Like, what is unique about it? Uh, let me just start by saying this is one of my favorite things I've ever seen on the animated front because it is just so good at almost every single thing that it does. And that's speaking from an animation standpoint, like just the raw visual style of it, but also from the rest of the production, the sound. Yeah, but also... And I, I keep seeing more of this because I'm, I'm a frequenter of online forums and the Reddit where it's like breaking down more of the show. And there was so much love put into this from an artistic point of view, paying homage to classic pieces of art in the past, especially around like the pop art, pop culture stuff that happened like in the 60s and 70s. Like, for instance, when Jinx does her finger gun things. These are artists and storytellers that know what they're trying to say. And they've had the freedom to really deliver on that front. And even like the cinematography and the what, what would be camera work, but isn't camera work because it's an animated show. I guess we could just say... It is camera work, actually. Yeah. In an animation. The, the direction of it is really remarkable to me. And one of the points is it almost became immersion breaking because they do it so much is the mirroring. And both through camera work and through the dialogue across the three acts, there are so many moments of like this happened to this character and now it's happening to this character or mm -hmm. like dueling perspectives. And mm -hmm. they do that a lot too. They'll go back and forth. Yeah. This is just so everyone knows there's nine episodes. They're 40 minutes long each and they were broken up over the course of three weeks. And every Saturday they would drop three new episodes and they sort of acted as uh, three separate acts. Each three episodes acted as three separate acts, act one, act two, act three. Yeah. It was like getting a two hour movie every Saturday. Pretty release. unique for Netflix. Mm -hmm. Unique in feeling and animation. Definitely, I would agree with that. But that's what he was saying. The three acts and the rhyming with the characters and the events. And it only just keeps getting better as it continues to build and yeah. explore the relationships. It was remarkably rewarding in a world where we have so many shows and even movies that will... It's not just being about subversive versus being predictable, but it's about just like not really getting satisfying character arcs out of a story. And this show was, whether or not you're familiar with the source material, with the game and who these characters are by the time you've you know met them in the video game, uh, they're very rewarding mm -hmm. character arcs for every character. Mm -hmm. And there's growth and there is... Mm -hmm. um, you can measure the distance those characters travel. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a time skip in there as well. 
Yeah, of a few years. It's kind of unclear. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Echo, he's he's not a playable character. He is a playable oh, character. Oh, he is? Yeah. Oh. And Echo's become one of the characters over the years that has sort of become the one of the poster children for the game. Yeah. But yeah, I, I really loved where Heimerdinger ended up. I was curious to see if he would... It seemed like he did have this moment after he was... Uh, what happens to him in the later part of the show, if he'd be able to step back and kind of take stock of like why he's in the position that he's in. And I think he, even the character that is like 300 years old can um, still be growing. Uh-huh. It's pretty interesting. But I love that like what he was for some people, he started to become for a different group of people, you know? Yeah. That kind of rhyming is sort of what you're talking about. Yeah. And- that's, that's the word I was looking for. The rhyming, I called it mirroring, but it's, there was so much of it in the show that it was, it's insane. The amount of detail from both the storytelling perspective and a, it was clearly planned out and yeah. done so well that like every, every scene was yeah. extremely detail oriented and thoroughly thought through. Yeah. And to just pivot to the, to the visual style, this is a, uh, a hand-drawn keyframe animation show that is, oh, damn, utilizes man. both, 2d and 3d elements and it is incredibly unique the only thing i've ever seen that like reminds me of this is like spider-verse where it's an incredibly yeah yeah yeah. that's true um yes it's very vibrant and it's very still gritty i was shocked at how they yeah it does seem like spider-verse you're right i think bad batch took notes from things like spider-verse because that was the best animation i had seen in a while but bad batch was still i think uh, completely 3D, 3D. Yeah. There's something incredibly magical when you take 2D and 3D together and really still pour artistic love into it with hand-drawn animation. And it takes a lot of time. Yeah. It is, from just an animation standpoint, probably my favorite animation I've ever seen. It is incredibly... And to just talk for a minute about the detail, there are little minutiae throughout the show where you can look at a character even in the background and they'll be doing something like fidgeting with their hands or moving in a way that will further characterize them. Even from just like, it's a, it's like a throwaway thing, but it's just there to add to the world building and to the immersive nature of the show. And that just speaks volumes from someone who's seen a lot of animation, like both Western and Eastern animation, where especially in anime, you'll have like a lot of dialogue and sometimes the characters are just standing there. But there's no moment in this show that is wasted. And that's just not to speak to like to pacing of the narrative, but every moment in this show, the characters feel alive and they feel like they're, they have agency in their own lives, which is something that's really cool to see. Mm-hmm. And it's gritty too. I already said gritty, but it's like the maturity of the thematic elements in the show was staggering to me. I thought it'd be like a kid's show because not only is it animated, so they usually swing below their station. Like, they have kids being the snot getting kicked out of them in the first episode, and I was just so incredibly blown away in a good way to see not just kids getting the shit kicked out of them, but this level of mature storytelling, and it's never gratuitous. It's not like a Tarantino flick where the violence is there as its own element, you know, to relish in it, but it's there to add to the tone and the atmosphere and the tension yep. and add to the characterization of the cast mm-hmm. because violence is a thing that is like inherent in the undercity mm-hmm. and just adds like to the story of the conflict between the undercity and Piltover. And that's why like Vi and Jinx are who they are. And that's why, They're you know, tough. Yeah. Tough gals. It's crazy. 
And to speak to that to a moment, and we spoke last cast about like, I think it was Cowboy Bebop and Faye Valentine and female characters in modern media and tropes and stuff like that and the pitfalls of big studio projects. This was so good to see. Good woman characters. Yeah. Who obviously they're strong. There's a lot actually (laughs) strong female characters in this show, but all of them have depth. All of them have vulnerability and Sure. The places where they are are earned. Yes. Like the character arcs are fleshed out True. and you can see why they are the way they are and how they've gotten there and where they're going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for every character. Yep. So that was incredibly rewarding. So do you think they're going to follow the same characters in season two? Yeah, season one brings a lot of closure to itself, but it is very clear that season two of Arcane, and they've teased it as well with a little bit of a 15-minute teaser. Oh, really? They will be continuing the story of season one with the same characters undoubtedly introducing more characters and regions because as they already teased on a region called noxious in the third act of the show they will be definitely bringing more of the world to bear and they'll probably have you know other media moving forward with i don't know if they have other shows in development now but there's certainly like there's stuff in the pipes i think and they're making moves to continue this and i know for sure netflix would love to have more of it i think arcane was it's tough in the wake of squid game but i think arcane was like their number two show all time wow after a few weeks you said it took a while for them to produce this show are they going to continue this show on like a yearly basis or will it be another couple years before we see more of it do you know i would say probably two years okay because i'm confident they had started a second season before this season had been launched sure and also, again, that six-year development phase wasn't just for yeah, yeah. animation. It took yeah. them a while to figure out what they wanted to do. I mm-hmm. would say probably two years before we have a, an Arcane Season 2 and whatever they want to do next. They've been releasing a lot of stuff. That's probably the next time we'll see these characters in that show. Yeah. The animation studio that they worked with to do the show was Fortiche. It's a studio in France. It does seem very French, honestly, now that, yeah. now that you say that. I don't know if it's all French staff, but it's based in Paris, and they've been working with Riot for that amount of time, about six years, doing cinematics. And if again, if Riot has any claim to fame, it is the their cinematics and their music. And I was actually just watching some of those the other day to kind of revisit that style. And Fortiche is, is amazing. And some of the work they've done, and the work Riot's done with other uh, animation studios, is really remarkable. And it just speaks volumes to the storytelling of these people. And it's just so funny to me to contrast it with the game, which is such a bittersweet uh, relationship with its community. <laughs> but everyone's in agreement that the Arcane and the other media surrounding, even the other games that Riot's been producing, are just, in- it's an incredible standard of quality. Mm-hmm. And it's really excited to see what they do moving forward with it. I can't really recommend it enough. And it's I'm jazzed because I've spoken with a lot of people and have done a lot of research to see if this show can captivate an audience that is not familiar with the game. And I think the consensus is that, yes, it can. I mean, if you you thought it was all right. <laughs> I did think it was all right. Um, it's not the, in my opinion, it's not the best thing I've ever seen, like you were describing, but... yeah. I I enjoyed it more as it went on. I liked the second act a lot more than the first. The first act was honestly the toughest for me. And then the third act was like even better. So Yeah. And again, I wouldn't say it's the best thing I've ever seen, but it's certainly 
the new bar in terms of a Western animation. I can't even think of anything else that comes close because I think as much as I enjoyed Castlevania, that was very much in the style of, and uh, it was worked on by members of like uh, Eastern studios. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or of, of that style of animation. But there's honestly, there's nothing that can compare to the level of quality from every direction that worked on this show. And it was, uh, I think the, the main, the main lead on it was, his name was Christian Link and Alex Yee. That completes my gushing, my power hour of uh, Arcane. So you talked about music. Yeah. Why? Why? Oh. Imagine Dragons. Yeah. Why? If there is one point of criticism I'd love you to <laughs> towards the show. And I, listen, I Imagine Dragons, I'm not one to, to tell people what to enjoy when it comes to anything, <laughs> especially music, but... The, I'm waking up. <laughs> the in-universe music video like segment in episode five was a little. It really kind of ripped me out of the show for a few minutes. I can't believe it was there. But no, I mean, why Imagine Dragons as the the theme of the show? I have to play an Imagine Dragons song now. Uh, well, yeah, you don't have to, but it, it is the. I have to. <laughs> People have to listen to this. As soon as the podcast is It's over. kind of a two-part reason, I guess. One is that they've been working with Imagine Dragons for years. Who's that? Since Riot Games, the developers of the game and Multimedia Empire, as it is now. They've been working with Imagine Dragons for longer than the show's been in development. They produced a track called Warriors like six or seven years ago with Imagine Dragons, and it was like one of their biggest hits of all time. And so, first of all, they probably have a great working relationship both ways. But also, they, as much as Imagine Dragons has sort of a meme nature to it in a lot of circles. Does it? Yeah, it's kind of like... The, oh, does it, it's, though? It's like, it's like the Nickelback I'm, of pop. I'm just kidding. I, of course it does. Yeah, I know. I know you're joking. The Nickelback of pop. Yeah, you heard it here first. I think... Well, I mean, you're right. But it's... Uh, Undoubtedly. It, it still sells, and Riot Games is nothing if not keen on how to market to a global audience, like a mass audience, you know? I wonder if Imagine Dragons will do the thing that Linkin Park did, where, like, they just become this trope of themselves for years, like a decade, and then all of a sudden they'll make this comeback as, like, this is the best band that's ever existed. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's what what happened to Linkin Park. The first, like, two to three albums were, like, awesome. And then they like just dropped off for like ten years, and then but they were like still touring. They, they never were still like making broke music. Yeah, it just so, it was became very different. Then all of a sudden, people are like, "This is the biggest band in the world." I'm like, "What? What are you talking about?" Yeah. And but, then, but I wonder if Imagine Dragons is like gonna do that because it would not surprise me. But Imagine Dragons is a weird band because when they first came to popularity with that album, the one that Radioactive is on, they became a band and wrote that album with the intention of being popular Mm -hmm. their whole goal was to just write hits and make a popular an album that would well they did it appeal i know i know (laughs) but like but that's why that's why i think it is kind of tropey it's because it's almost like there is no i can't say there's no creative behind it because obviously you have to be creative to write hits but Mm -hmm. but it's almost like there's no artistry you know behind their music there's a conversation to be had there (laughs) i don't know if i entirely agree but it is absolutely a deserving of a meme status all right 
but actually, to so Gabe's a fan of Imagine Dragons. I'm not you, a super fan. You heard fan. it here first. You Listen, heard it here it's first. catchy music. It's not something I typically play. On Gabe's my own waking time. up. <laughs> <laughs> but real quick, just for one last thing to piggyback off that, it's interesting. They did add a music segment. I think in every episode of the show, and most of those tracks are pretty good. It, like for instance, the end of the first act ends with a. A, a track called Goodbye that I haven't been able to stop listening to. And there's a, I think in, in Act 3, there's a scene where Echo's fighting Jinx and it's to like this pop track and they pivot into this animation style that's like kind of sketchbooky, like Spider-Verse-y. And it is that's really Because cool. of Jinx's character though, right? Yeah, and it's showing, it's it's actually really cool thematically. It's showing you like a flashback to when they were kids because Echo and Powder were friends. Powder being Jinx as a kid. And it's important also for Echo as a champ because what we don't see in the show, but we see later on is his ability to like rewind time essentially for himself. And so it shows you them as a kid going through like this play battle scenario. And then it jumps forward to them as adults and it's really cool. But a lot of the music in the show is really, really good and I think one track even had Sting. I think the the song the show ends with features Sting. And they put a lot of time into developing all these tracks with their artists. And obviously the main one for the show is Enemy by Imagine Dragons, which is the intro theme. They had an in-world animated music video outside of the show. And then they had that scene in episode five with animated members of the band <laughs> in in the show. Gabe's favorite band, by the it, way. Again, probably my least favorite part of an, of an incredible experience <laughs> don't let that deter you no yeah it's worth good seeing. thing it's in episode six That's i all i, I yeah this is a show i'd even probably recommend before something like castlevania as good as castlevania was i think this is something that is more accessible for yeah. a general audience and probably more rewarding true for your average especially because like you're not watching animated sex and stuff you know there is a sex scene that is hilarious because it's intercut with our poor boy, Victor, who is like dying. <laughs> and cosmic space time. Yes, that was cool. I can't wait to see more of that Lovecraft stuff because ooh la la, there's some lore to go into. <laughs> Not the sex, but the cosmic stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but also the sex. <laughs> no. So you're telling me the music is so good, apart from the Imagine Dragons, that I don't have to play an Imagine Dragons song right now? So what, honestly, what song should I, I play? I would play goodbye which is the track that act one ends with where powder is in the rain just like crying and alone all right well here is the hailed track from oh it's act one (laughs) gabe hailed track from act one of arcane called a goodbye it's just goodbye called goodbye it's called goodbye goodbye (laughs) by ramsey a ramsey of a heartbeat before it goes out won't ever leave my memory of bloodshed all around and i can see a tear on my father's face before it falls out oh my enemy how could i have ever let you down Eyes grow, cut our teeth and make our bones right here. We play with shields made of stone, share our dreams and sit our thrones beside. Cause I see smoke up ahead and I 
Goodbye. Oh, it's time to say goodbye.